Just two hours ago, Allied Air Forces began an attack on military targets in Iraq and Kuwait. These attacks continue as I speak. On Friday, I ordered our forces to launch a cruise missile attack on the Iraqi intelligence service's principal command and control facility in Baghdad. U.S. Special Operations Forces executed a dangerous and daring nighttime raid in northwestern Syria and accomplished their mission in grand style. Remember this? This is how a superpower behaves. When a superpower uses military force against an enemy, it's time to inform the American people. It's time to lay out the stakes. It's time to lead. It's pretty much a no-brainer, right? Unless you're Joe Biden. It's been remarkable, but ever since, ever since that operation, a couple of paper statements, uh, some mutterings from a press secretary, something from the Pentagon. But Joe, uh, Joe doesn't want to talk about this. Joe has said virtually nothing, and it's weird. It's very strange. I have a theory about what's going on here. Can you wait for a moment until I tell you? Because it's good. I will tell you this. He's got plenty of energy to bash MAGA, although he even seems to be getting tired of doing that. The only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. Trump and the MAGA Republicans said no, because they're afraid of Donald Trump. This guy's saying his MAGA Republican friends want to repeal the historic climate legislation I got passed. Trump and his MAGA friends are determined to take away your freedoms, like the freedom to vote. Trump and his MAGA friends are dividing us, not uniting us. He's barely trying, right? No way he's making it to November. Sorry, they're going to make a change, obviously, right? Um, but the important thing is, besides all of his other deficiencies, he's not a leader, all right? Doesn't know how to lead. And he's unworthy, for that reason, of the presidency. Many, many other things wrong with him, but he does not know how to lead. Now, Tower 22, that's where our soldiers were hit, right? Our three soldiers were killed there in that attack in Jordan. Now, that was devastating. What's more important, Tower 22 or a discotheque? Hmm? I mean, looks like the Tower 22 place is far more important, serious, and significant but I want to focus on the discotheque for a moment. A discotheque in West Berlin, Germany, all the way back in 1986. For the second time this week, Americans have been the victims of a terrorist attack in Europe. This time, the target was a nightclub in West Berlin, a favorite of American soldiers. A bomb exploded there overnight. Two people were killed, one of them an American. Scores were wounded. Don Cladstrip now with our report. Little was left of the West Berlin disco, devastated by a bomb while the club was packed with several hundred persons. Over 150 were injured, about 70 of them American servicemen. One U.S. soldier and a young Turkish woman were killed. Authorities speculate that someone planted the bomb under a table near the dance floor. I remember this when it happened. I was in high school. And I remember, well, there were a lot of bombings going on all over the world. It was terrible, but it didn't have the whole country at the edge of their seat. It didn't. It was tied, however, to Muammar Gaddafi. Remember that guy? And we hit him hard. We hit Libya within 10 days of that bombing with precision munitions 
F-111s, A-6 intruders off of carriers out of Air Force bases in England. We pounded Libya. And Ronald Reagan, the president of the United States, let Gaddafi know and the whole world know you don't mess with us. On April 5th in West Berlin, a terrorist bomb exploded in a nightclub frequented by American servicemen. Sergeant Kenneth Ford and a young Turkish woman were killed and 230 others were wounded, among them some 50 American military personnel. This monstrous brutality is but the latest act in Colonel Gaddafi's reign of terror. The evidence is now conclusive that the terrorist bombing of La Belle Discotheque was planned and executed under the direct orders of the Libyan regime. One army sergeant is killed in a country that is not Libya, <laughs> and we take such decisive action. It's amazing. And he actually says, a discotheque, right? They messed with the wrong people. Keep going. Colonel Gaddafi is not only an enemy of the United States. His record of subversion and aggression against the neighboring states in Africa is well documented and well known. He has ordered the murder of fellow Libyans in countless countries. He has sanctioned acts of terror in Africa, Europe, and the Middle East, as well as the Western Hemisphere. Today, we have done what we had to do. If necessary, we shall do it again. Iran is doing all that and worse, and on the verge of gaining nuclear weaponry. Huh? Next. There is no security no safety in the appeasement of evil. It must be the core of Western policy that there be no sanctuary for terror. And to sustain such a policy, free men and free nations must unite and work together. You compare this to uh, Joe and his administration going around, we don't want any conflict. We don't want any problems here. One more from the Gipper. Despite our repeated warnings, Gaddafi continued his reckless policy of intimidation, his relentless pursuit of terror. He counted on America to be passive. He counted wrong. America today is passive, not a leader. Gosh, we were blessed, so blessed. And that's how he won 49 states, right? That's leadership. Leadership. America deserves leadership. Instead, we have a small-time politician who got lucky and very weird. Joe Biden, from one of the smallest states in the country, got something like 100,000 votes when he was 29 years old because he had nothing to lose. Why not run for the Senate and look at him now and look at us now? You know, this is a pretty amazing moment when, when Joe Biden meets Ronald Reagan for the first time. Joe Biden shouldn't even be in the same room. <laughs> He's not even in the same hemisphere as Ronald Reagan in terms of ability. But watch his body language. He thinks uh, they're buddies or peers. President Joe Biden, how are you? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Welcome in here. Looking forward to this. I'd be very happy to have that. <laughs> I think I'm looking forward to helping on this one, too. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> That's it. A big smile. 
nothing going on upstairs, doing a fair amount of mimicry, right? Acts like an important person, but that is all he had to deliver. And I have to do one more thing when it comes to Ronald Reagan, one of my favorites, and this guy. Remember when the Coast Guard Academy uh, commencement speech? Ronald Reagan and Joe Biden had the same opportunity, and they delivered the same joke. One knew how to do it, one didn't. My Coast Guard aides have been excellent. One of them taught me that, and I quote, the Coast Guard is that hard nucleus about which the Navy forms in time of war. I can only assume that you will enjoy educating your family about how the Coast Guard is, quote, the hard nucleus around the Navy forms in times of war. You are quite, you're a really dull class. I mean, come on, man. Is the sun getting to you? I would think you'd have an opportunity when I say that about the Navy to clap, but being here together. So he botches the joke, insults the audience, blames the audience for not getting the joke that he screwed up. Um, you can see, right? I mean, the presidency has fallen, fallen off of a cliff. So he's unworthy, right? And here's my theory. There's a really, really strong chance that Joe is seriously compromised when it comes to China. Let's just limit it to China. You know, Hunter went over there and all those arrangements and all the money coming in, uh, the, the WhatsApp message, and I'm here with my father, and the keys to the office, and the ch it's crazy, crazy stuff. I know that China is close to Iran and getting closer. Is it at least conceivable that China telegraphed somehow to Joe to go easy on Iran, or else we could really complicate your life? This is why you don't want presidents compromised. And there is a damn good chance that he is. All right, I'll be right back. George Santos, I wish this guy were still in the Congress. I'll explain why when I come back. How many people work for the federal government? 7.8 million employees. How many elected representatives, if you add up all the members of the House, all the senators, and a vice president and a president that comes to 537? 537. Who's going to win? Who's going to exert more power long term? If you think our elected I don't think you think that anymore. I think we all know that we're not actually being run by elected leaders. We are. The deep state is in control. Very much so. I mean, electeds come and go and they influence things here and there. You know who really explained it well? Uh, J.D. Vance, the Republican senator from Ohio. We have a major problem here with administrators and bureaucrats in the government who don't respond to the elected branches. Let's just give one very real world example of this. In 2019, Donald Trump, having defeated ISIS, said that we should redeploy our troops in Syria and Jordan out of the region. You had multiple members of the Defense Department bureaucracy who fought him on that. So what happened? We have people who are sitting ducks in the Levant right now, three of whom just got killed because the bureaucrats 
Democrats aren't listening to the political branches. That's a fundamental component of our government, George, that whoever is in charge, agree or disagree with them, you have to follow the rules. If those people aren't following the rules, then of course you've got to fire them. And of course, the president has to be able to run the government as he thinks he should. That's the way the Constitution works. It has been thwarted too much by the way our bureaucracy has worked over the past 15 years. Brilliant, right? Except it's not 15 years. It's about 50 or 60. Nixon administration, the deep state was out to get him and it was real. And all right. So that brings us to uh, Mayorkas, uh, criminally incompetent or malevolent. I don't care. So impeachable. And he lives to fight another day. The vote was 215 to 215. I saw that while I was sick, by the way. Oh, yeah, um, I'm over it. That equals 430. Well, there are five other members. What happened to them? Where are they? Wait a second. We could have won this thing. And I realize there are some members of Congress who aren't there anymore. Empty seats, vacancies. You know who would have voted to impeach? George Santos. Remember that guy? Yeah, I know. He, uh, he lied about playing volleyball or something like that. Who cares? I mean, there are more important things to worry about. And he wasn't indicted when he was a congressman. He wasn't. And he had every right to continue serving. Uh, wait, had he been indicted? It doesn't matter. Even if he was indicted, there's plenty of precedent for people serving in Congress while they're under federal indictment. I'll show you a couple of doozies in a moment. But why were they so intense about it? This first-term congressman, Republican saying that he must be ejected immediately. Santos tried to exploit every aspect of his candidacy for personal financial gain. George Santos has built his persona, his personal and political life on a foundation of lies. I myself have been a victim of George Santos and as well as other members of Congress in terms of defrauding through public donations. I had received an ethics complaint from the FEC, which I had to spend tens of thousands to defend myself. You, sir, are a crook. Well, I am sure they all felt good saying that. Some of what they said could not be proven. Um, and people like Matt Gates and Clay Higgins stood up for the congressman and said that his due process had been violated. So he would have voted to impeach. What about Ken Buck? Ken Buck is just kind of an eccentric guy who is on his way out and actually wants to work at CNN. I'm interested in talking to folks at CNN and other news organizations and having an opportunity to do that full time or do that as a contributor. That would be great also. Uh, this is the guy who voted against impeachment. That brings us to Congressman Mike Gallagher. Um, I'm very disappointed in his vote. He is a sharp guy. Apparently, he told folks a month ago that he would not vote for impeachment. I have to believe, I want to believe that he did this on the merits, right? I mean, nobody's tougher on China. I think this guy gets it. I'm disappointed. I still think going forward, we can trust him. We watch China undertake the largest peacetime military buildup since at least World War II. Yeah, I don't think we should uh, trust uh, the official narrative from the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, there, there's evidence, uh, you know, that goes back just to the early parts of the pandemic to suggest why we shouldn't trust what they say publicly. He's been fantastic on that issue. That didn't exactly encapsulate it, but I think he's got a lot to offer. This is very disappointing. 
usually, though, you can have some people vote the other way if you have a decent majority. And for not having a decent majority, you know, by 30 seats or so, we have Kevin McCarthy to blame, who I do believe was in it for the perks and the power and the fun of elected office as opposed to actually doing things for the people. I mean, yeah, we'll do things for the people eventually, right after we take care of ourselves. And, well, here's why this is relevant today. If he were still in Congress, he could have voted for impeachment. You know, he left the speakership, and he also quit Congress. He's no longer there. It's an empty seat. It may vote Republican, but that election hasn't happened. No, no, you know, I'll say this for uh, Nancy. She's actually still in Congress. She's still there. She's not the speaker, but she's still voting with them and that kind of thing. Um, and an indictment, just because you're indicted, doesn't mean you have to quit Congress. Just ask Robert Menendez. A cornerstone of the foundation of American democracy and our justice system is the principle that all people are presumed innocent until proven guilty. All people. I ask for nothing more and deserve nothing less. We cannot set aside the presumption of innocence for political expediency when the harm is irrevocable. What a quaint thought, huh? I agree. Uh, he's something else, by the way. This is his second indictment. You know, he was indicted another time, uh, 2015 to 2018, actually in late 2017, uh, a jury came back uh, inconclusive, hung jury, and they dropped the case. And during that time, he actually went on television shows, and nobody even asked him about it. He'd go on MSNBC while he was indicted. Nobody asked about the indictment. He'd go on CNN. He'd go on all the networks. He'd even go on Fox News, and they wouldn't ask him about the federal indictment, which involved bribery and young women and all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, how about that one? Yeah, George Santos gets caught lying about volleyball. <laughs> I know there's some other things, but look at that. Look at that feeding frenzy. And look at Robert Menendez just talking about world affairs on Sunday shows like nothing is wrong. Well, something is very, very wrong with the whole damn thing. I'll be right back. He loves the Constitution. He fights for what's right. He hates the bad guys. He's a freedom warrior. He's your freedom warrior. Watch Carl Higby every weekday on Newsmax. Well, say what you will about George Santos. Uh, the guy knew how to campaign. He flipped a seat. Uh, the district he ran in was a solidly blue seat, and he flipped it. And, uh, well, now he's gone, and the seat is open, and a very competitive election takes place next Tuesday, a special election. Tom Suozzi wants his old job back. He's a Democrat. Uh, he left to run for governor. That did not work out. He lost, and now he's campaigning uh, for that seat. Uh, he's up against, though, a very formidable Mozzie Pillip. A congressional candidate for New York's 3rd District. She's also a Nassau County legislator and has a very unique American story. Mozzie Pillip, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Hi, Greg. I'm good. How are you? 
Uh, terrific and uh, a little bit anxious, actually, about next week's election. Uh, Democrats are coming very close to taking the majority once again. How would you have voted on impeachment of Mayorkas if you were there? Our uh, vote to impeach him, he absolutely failed to protect the American people, to protect our borders. The crisis that we are seeing right now is because of him and Biden and Tam Swazi, who decided to open the southern border. And we are facing a national crisis with this uh, migrant crisis. Now, you may be uh, new on the national scene, but you have roots in the community uh, big time. And you're actually on the, uh, the legislature right now, or did you leave the seat in Nassau County? No, I'm still the county legislator. This is uh, my second term. And, uh, you know, I'm all about uh, the people doing the right things for the American people, uh, saving our country. What we are seeing around the world right now and in our country, it's absolutely out of control. I'm all about securing our borders. I'm all about supporting law enforcement and controlling crime. And the third congressional district residents are sick and tired of old politics, old politicians, people who promise never deliver. And Tom Swazi, he was in the majority when he decided to open the border and create this mess. Now we need somebody like me to go to Washington to fix it. Where were you born? In Ethiopia. Uh, where and what was that like, and when did you leave? Um, I was born in a village in south of uh, Addis Ababa. Um, life was very simple with uh, no running water, um, a little access to education, and basic, really, a life until I was 12 years old. And then in 1991, it was a secret operation when Israel and the United States brought me and another 14,000 Ethiopian Jews to Israel. So the second chapter of my life started in Israel in 1991. Uh, better life and uh, better opportunities. I finished high school. I joined the IDF and a paratrooper brigade and uh, did my bachelor degree and master degree in diplomacy and security from Tel Aviv University. And I came about 17 years ago to this beautiful, amazing country. I live in Nassau, I have seven children. I love this country. This country has been great for me and my husband who was born in Ukraine, grew up in America. He become a doctor, a cardiologist. So, um, you know, for me is to give back to, to the country, to give back to the American people. Um, for everything that I and my husband received. And uh, this is a very important uh, election because it's about the future of our country. So Kathy Hochul is the governor of New York, as you know, and she was talking about you in a way that I found uh, rather disrespectful and maybe a little uh, xenophobic, I think the word might be. Take a look. I want to know whether or not Tom Swazi's opponent, I support Tom Swazi, Mazzy Philippe, who's we don't even know a thing about her. I mean, this is this is like George Santos all over again. What do we really know about her? You know, again, uh, you're elected twice to the legislature there. Uh, you have seven kids. But you, you've been here for years. What did you make of her comment? Uh, distressful, uh, shameful. I wouldn't expect for a governor of New York State to to speak with such a disrespectful way to me and questioning who Mazi Pelop is. She knows exactly who's Mazi Pelop because she comes a lot to Great Nick and a lot of people in Great Nick who love and support me tell her about me. And it's just another way of uh, the Democratic Party to take to talk to 
talk garbage about people and just to gain another power. And uh, it's, it's sad. It's just sad. It's just, again, it's telling you they will do everything, everything to gain power. And very shames, uh, something like this will come with a governor. Our governor is really distressful, disrespectful. Shame on her to talk about me just like this. I'm a proud black woman, a mother, a former IDF soldier, an American, a Jew who loved this country and everything I achieved in my life. I worked so hard, so hard. Nothing came easy for in my life. No, I didn't born as the way Tom Swazi were born and things were easy for him uh, to have his political career. I worked so hard. Nothing came easy for her to speak about me like this. Shame on you, Governor Hoko. Shame on you. You know, um, so well spoken. You're spot on. You know, she became governor because the guy got fired. She just walked into the job and, and look at you and look at what you're doing and look at what you've done. Mozzie Pillup, good luck. Early voting has started in the 3rd Congressional District right outside of New York here. Mozzie4ny.com. M-A-Z-I 4ny.com. That's Mozzie4ny.com. Good luck to you. Thank you very much. Take care. You bet. All the best. We'll be right back. Greta Van Susteren is back. She's on Newsmax, giving you the really big stories without the spin. Watch The Record with Greta Van Susteren. She's smart, tough, and always fair. Don't miss Greta's new show. All right, so that crazy bill the Senate came up with, that imploded. Um, the problem continues. And Joe Biden is running around the country trying to convince people, I tried, I tried. Um, I'm wondering this, though, overall, are we going to hit a saturation point? So many people coming into the country. I mean, is this battle at some point lost? Uh, Mark Morgan joins us, uh, former acting CBP commissioner under Donald Trump, former acting director of ICE. And nobody knows these issues better than he does. He's at the Heritage Foundation. Mark, uh, welcome back. I hope that made sense. I mean, you know, the crisis continues, continues, continues. I fear that in the future there will be a point of no return where there's just no fixing it, where you actually do lose the country. Does that make sense? And if so, is there a point in time that you can pinpoint where that could happen? Yeah, Greg, look, that's the question. And I think we're already here, Greg, because here's the reason. It's not just about the physical number of people, which which is incredible. 8.9 million in 36 months, uh, 1.8 million known gotaways. But, but, Greg, it's what follows the illegal a a immigration because resources are pulled off the line. So what's also happening? We have drugs pouring in this country. In a 12-month period, 112,000 Americans died. We know that we have criminals, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons entering this country at will every single day, as well as national security threats. Greg, I'll submit to you, we're already there. I mean, the threat to our safety and national security, uh, it may be too late. It may be too late. It may, it, yeah, I, and that's really what, what scares me. I mean, and, and all of us, I think, it may be too late. So practically speaking, I mean, what, what happens next? I mean, God forbid Biden is somehow stays in office. 
what what would things how would how would it play out? What would, what would happen next? I mean, would they change the name of the country? I mean, what 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 does it look like? Greg, I tell you honestly, it, this is why I'm here. This is why I continue to fight. This is the question. This is what should be alarming for all of us. This country has to wake up. And by what I mean is, hey, look, it may be too late. Look at the past 36 months. I'll go back to the 1.8 million known gotaways. Greg, I know you, you, you've talked about, you and I have talked about it before, about the national security threat. In the past 36 months, we've encountered more uh, aliens on the FBI's watch list than any time in history. We've apprehended tens of thousands of special interest aliens that we know come from countries that sponsor, harbor, and facilitate terrorism. I'll go back again to the 1.8 million known gotaways. It's not if or when a national security threat comes to our country. Greg, it's already here. And so if we don't stop this now, if we don't stop the bleeding now, I think we're a port of no return. I don't think there's any any way we're coming back from this if we don't stop the lawlessness and chaos at our border. So Joe Biden is not going to do anything. He has immense power. He chooses not to use it deliberately. Uh, we see what came out after months of negotiating, that crazy bill that would have sanctioned a lot of this. Uh, Mayorkas doesn't get impeached. So something has to happen now. Nothing's going to happen now, right? I mean, is there some is is there something that could happen now? Look, I I, I still have hope. I, I I need to have hope, right? We gotta have hope. Look, impeachment's not dead, first of all, and I won't go into the procedural details. But there is still a possibility that that Congress could hold, at least the House could hold Secretary Mayorkas responsible. And as far as the bad Senate bill, I agree with your characterization. At least it died. So maybe we can get back to the bill that was passed in the House, H.R. 2. It was the strongest piece of border security legislation that's ever been passed. And what frustrates me, Greg, is this president and this secretary continues to lie to the American people, saying that, that Republicans, they're not doing anything. That's a lie. They passed H.R. 2. They gave it to Chuck Schumer in the Senate which he said on it for 270 days. They want to fix this border. They want to give the tools and make this administration secure, defend, and protect our border. Pass H.R. 2, and it'll happen. Do you remember, uh, I think the Bush administration started at the terror alert scale, you know, yellow, yeah. green, red. Uh, liberals at the time kind of made fun of it. Would something like that be very helpful right around now? Uh, it would seem like the administration, if there were some good people somewhere in the administration, it, they'd have no choice but to put us at the highest rung of risk. And maybe something like that would be would be good if we had it. If you actually had an administration, it would be honest with American people. So if we had that, Greg, look, we, for the past three years, this president, Secretary Mayakas, has lied to the American people, denied it to Congress until it's the final year, election year. And now they can't even deny it, the chaos and lawlessness because it's the top of every poll. I mean, so you're, you're talking about administration that, that refuses to enforce the law. They violate the law and they just make up law to fit what their definition of it should be. So I don't think anything like that is going to uh, uh, um, make a difference. Look, I don't want to make this political, but it's become political. And as you said, Another big lie. This president, he doesn't need Congress to act to fix the border. He enacted 94 executive orders that dismantled the effective tools and authorities we had under place under President Trump that led to the most secure border. Right? He could take that same pen 
and reinstitute him to save third countries, to remain in Mexico and build the wall. If he did those three things, you would see this crisis go down by 85 percent overnight. All right. Mark Morgan, we appreciate it very much. And uh, as bleak as things look, you talk about hope. And you know what? Your bookshelf gives me hope back there. I don't know what's back there. It looks like you got a Captain America mask and maybe a, uh, what is that, the Hulk? What is, Jolly Green Giant? What, what, what is that stuff back there? It's, it's just a little representation of my 40 years serving this country, and I was proud to do so. All right, all right. Well, it's kind of colorful. I, sorry, I thought one of them was uh, from Star Wars. That's no. great stuff. And I see the shadow box, of course. We all know about that. Thank you very much, sir. To be continued, and we'll be right back. Thanks, Greg. money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. We deserve more money. We deserve to be paid for the job we're doing. Senator Adams, I believe you've made your point in the two minutes. How do you vote? I deserve a raise. Because that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's Eric Adams back when he was a state senator. That's what it was all about. It's not public service. It's about money. It's about fun. It's about nice clothes. It didn't matter when he was just a state senator. Uh, now, thanks to 289,000 people voting for him on the last day of school in a city of 8 million, this goofball is the mayor of the largest city in the country. And that is a real problem. This is a great city, and I'm the Biden of Brooklyn. I do the boogaloo. I salsa. I'm a black man. That's the mayor. Every day in the police department, I kick those crackers' ass. Don't stand in front like you're treating someone that's on the plantation that you own. One of my best gifts, as you know, marijuana is legal. I have bamboo. Oh. <laughs> that's cute, right? Smoke up, kids. Smoke some weed. All right. Uh, he hit a new low. Number one, you got to remember this. He's incompetent when it comes to governing, and he's also really bad at politics. The Biden of Brooklyn, <laughs> that was the one thing he had going for him. The Biden people liked him. Now they hate him. Anyway, because of behind-the-scenes political stuff, not in a good way, if you know what I mean. Take a look at this. He, uh, he prefers people who are black. He prefers them over white people, and he says it out loud. Stand up. They need to see you. Deputy Mayor Williams Ison, Deputy Mayor Mira Josie, Deputy Mayor Amazar, Deputy Mayor Maria Torres Springer. Have you ever seen this much chocolate leading the city of New York? And then go down the line. Look, look who's here. This is representative of the city. That's why people are hating on me. <laughs> hating on him. Now, this man is racist. You heard the thing about the crackers, right? Calling the white people crackers. Um, he's known to, well, be uncomfortable around white people. It's really sad. Um, Ray Nagin actually tried a similar line. Do you remember this? We as black people, it's time. It's time for us to come together. It's time for us to rebuild a New Orleans, the one that should be a chocolate New Orleans. And I don't care what people are saying uptown or wherever they are. This city will be chocolate at the end of the day. All right, when you got nothing to play, play the race card. Uh, Nagin, by the way, was later convicted on 20 
of 21 counts by a jury back in 2014 for taking uh, $500,000 in payouts from businessmen in exchange for millions of dollars worth of city contracts. How about that? Oh, and uh, uh, Eric Adams is under federal investigation. Anyway, uh, terrible, terrible stuff. And you heard the cracker comment. I want to move on. After he praised the women who were chocolate, he had some praise for himself. They hating on me because those are, how many of you go to church? Ma'am, this is a Matthew 21 and 12 moment. Jesus walked in the temple. He saw them doing wrong in the temple. He did what? He turned the table Came over. over. I went to City Hall to turn the table over. First woman police commissioner of color. First Spanish-speaking police commissioner. First Spanish-speaking uh, uh, correction com com commissioner. Go through the line of what we're doing. So they're hating on him because he's appointing, hating on him, that's what he said, uh, appointing people of color to big jobs like police commissioner. And, well, Eric is not only um, bad at being mayor, but he's just ignorant. Now, let's go back. Let's see. Forty years ago, 40 years ago, we had a black police commissioner. His name was Ben Ward, and he was very, very effective. Thirty years ago... Uh, we had a black mayor and a black police commissioner by the name of Lee Brown, okay? And did you hear that part where he said his police commissioner now is the first ever Spanish-speaking police commissioner? Well, I know a police commissioner who speaks Spanish. My father, Ray Kelly, all right? We've also had senior commissioners who were actually born in Spain, so please, if you think of anything, we got to do something. But we have a serious, serious problem with that guy. All right, the mayor. All right, next. We're going to play a little game here. Guess who goes to jail and guess who goes free. We're going to show you two crimes right next to each other. Should be pretty obvious which one's going to go to jail and which one's going to be let loose with uh, please don't do that again or see you later and don't come back. Let's start. Oh, you're familiar with the, the people on the left there, right? The illegal migrants beating up those cops. What's on the right? Uh, oh, Enrique Tarrio, when he burned the Black Lives Matter flag. Well, he went to jail for six months for burning a Black Lives Matter flag in the middle of a riot. How about that? Whereas the guys on the left, as you know, released without bail. All right? That one was easy, though, because it's in the news. Enrique Tarrio got five months in prison. Next, uh, what do we have here? On the left, we have Daniel Penny uh, trying to save lives on a subway train by subduing a, a maniac passenger who was threatening to kill people. On the right, we have students uh, being evacuated in a school shooting, an active school shooting case in Texas. So who went to jail? <laughs> Daniel Penny. He's out on $100,000 bail. Who did not go to jail and is walking around right now? Uh, that young man, the accused school shooter, released without bail the same day. America is really strange. All right, one more, one more. What do we have here? Oh, on the left, about 100 people started beating up on some guy. And on the right, we have, well, oh, yeah, pro-life demonstrators. And they are praying and sitting down. No arrests in the beatdown in Oakland. And that was one of the most savage things I ever saw. Look at that. Look at that. Kicking the guy. In. Oh. 
Uh, on the, the others, though, uh, convicted of felony, face 11 years. In, isn't that amazing, right? When they say we have no country, like, it's starting to really feel like we have no country. We got to save it. And I still think we can. I'll be right back. I switched. I switched. I switched. I switched to Newsmax. 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 Have you made the switch? You bet I did. My whole family switched. Millions are switching to Newsmax. You should too. All right, Newsmax Plus. Have you heard? It's awesome. And more than 200,000 people have already signed up for it. I got a little memo here. Uh, 200,000 folks, that is a lot. And you get all the great shows. Rob Schmidt, Greta, my show, Higby, Bowling, uh, and also our great panelists, uh, you know, Alan Dershowitz. He is so brilliant. I think that guy is the best. All right. Oh, Trump rallies. You know, Fox doesn't even carry those Trump rallies. Uh, movies, documentaries, NewsmaxPlus.com. Get it started. It's a free trial. NewsmaxPlus.com. Thank you. So I was out sick for two days. Uh, would have been longer, but I had a great little nurse in training taking care of me. Don't open your eyes yet. My, my eyes are closed. Open your eyes. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's a Dalmatian. <laughs> she was always bringing me little toys, thinking that they would help me get better. And you know what? I think they did. I really do. That's little Annalise. She's four. My wife, Judith, had a big role in my recovery as well. Good to be back, and I'll see you tomorrow.